live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. May the 4th be with you. Yes, indeed. May the 4th be with you wherever you're listening to us around the world. And we do appreciate you taking the time out to stop by and talk with us. But we want to keep that conversation going with you after the show. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there. Check out Parlay Points. New blogs dropping this week. The T Public Store. The Classified section where you can find friends of the show and so much more. The directory, if it is anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off the entertainment edition, we have to give our final thoughts on season one mm-hmm. of Disney Plus and Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Yeah. One of the most anticipated shows of 2022 it has finally wrapped up. Episode 6 has came out. The star of the show, Oscar Isaac, playing Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. And, well, we'll kind of dive into that just a little bit later here. Uh, Definitely was bringing a lot of emotion to the role. And obviously, knowing the character of Moon Knight, who suffers from dissociative identity disorder, this was no easy feat to pull off on screen. But he did it and had a stellar cast to work with as well. Yeah. May Kalamoe played Layla. You had Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow, and definitely bringing this character of the Marvel or Comics universe to yes. the cinematic universe definitely was one that we have been analyzing each and every episode. It has been a long journey to get here. The show has now wrapped up season one. So before we give the countdown and get into spoiler talk, Pad, give us a spoiler-free statement about this show. Uh, the show overall has been not, not bad. It's been good. Um, wasn't quite sure what to expect going into it, but, you know, it was surprising how much I did enjoy it. It took a little bit to get going, but once it started going, I really, really enjoyed it. Knowing this character from the comics, and he has been around in many incarnations, and he's had a lot of people take the time to really take him in different directions, Mark Spector's debut on Disney Plus has been one that I thought they took in a, yet another direction, uh-huh. and I thought they did a very good job with it. Was I blown away by the series? No. But is there enough that I want to see more of it? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that they really hit their strides later in the series. The first couple of episodes, I thought, definitely tiptoed around a little bit Yeah. instead of just going right into the heart of the matter because being a six-episode series... It's a little tough to get everything in there at once, and you know there's no room for filler. Well, and, and they, I feel like they wanted to kind of, you know, if we're talking like a, a swimming pool, they want to kind of ease into things. They didn't want to necessarily go headfirst into the deep end because the Moon Knight, the character in the comics, is a little different than your Iron Man's, your Captain Americas, 
you know, and even some of your more, you know, B list and C list. And I don't want to put a le- you know, a, a letter list on Moon Knight, but he's not exactly a household name for everybody. Mm-hmm. He's a little different, so I feel like they wanted to ease into that and you know, kind of get people used to just how the character is and what he's about and everything about him before they went full tilt on it. You know, when, when the in the way they did it. I have to agree with you about that. I think that they did the pacing was maybe the only thing I really had an issue with, but I understand your point that you brought up too. So that being said, we are going to start talking some spoilers about this series and the show. And if you're new to the ODPH, thank you for giving us a shot. We give a countdown to give you fair warning in case you haven't seen the show yet. Because we don't want to ruin this for you. We are very adamant about not posting anything about spoilers for 72 hours after the debut. We give you that fair warning that you won't be ruined about any surprises that happen. Unless you jump into the episode right here, which we want to engage with you. So we are saying this. If you haven't seen the episode by now, pause. Jump in after the countdown. And then continue the conversation with us after that. Because once we get going, we don't stop. That being said, check the liner notes if you're pausing here. Because in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? Thought the final episode was good. I definitely enjoyed it. However, I did feel it was a little rushed. You know, and it just felt like it kind of... You know, it was a car driving along the interstate, and then there was a wall there, and it crashed into the wall and just stopped. You know, it. it I wasn't quite satisfied and fulfilled, you know, with the ending, but I did enjoy it. I have to agree with you. I think that we speculated about this last week, that with one episode left, uh-huh. and at that time it had not been announced about a season two. And I want to stress that it has not been officially announced. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the social media accounts of Marvel and Moon Knight, there's some verbiage in there in talking about this episode that has really put the exclamation point on that we're going to have a season two. Because in one aspect, they say the the series finale, Mm -hmm. and in another one, they say season finale. Yeah. So after seeing this episode, well, we know we're going to season two. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the entire story of the Fist of Khonshu was not going to be wrapped up here. No. They left too much on the table that we needed to fully break down and even go into further directions with. Mm -hmm. Because as this whole series has begun, Stephen Grant wakes up in England and he's getting used to, you know, having this idea that something else is going on around him. And Mm -hmm. he's starting to have, you know, obviously issues sleeping and then waking up and you're seeing how they shifted between personalities. Like Uh, I think one of the first shots we see in the show is him waking up and he's hand, not, well not handcuffed, but he's got handcuffs uh, attached to his ankle mm -hmm. to the the bed. Yes. And as you're seeing, he's getting pulled into a very epic adventure by Khonshu, who is trying to guide him in the path of stopping uh, Arthur Harrow's character, who is trying to resurrect the goddess Amit. And this is now <laughs> bringing in the entire world, so to speak, because with your seeing how Spectre and Grant are balancing each other out, it has been a roller coaster ride to get here. Yeah. And definitely been one that there's been some globe trotting that they didn't need to dive into exactly how we got from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. We're just here. And then obviously going into the last episode, we see that Mark Spector was shot and killed. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. And then he's going through the afterlife. And you get really into the meat and potatoes, the heart of the matter, no pun intended, of who Mark Spector is. And you get probably their strongest episode. Kalima. Yes. And we get to see how Moon Knight has all come together. And now, obviously, with one last shot to save the world, this is where we jump in. 
because as this episode goes, we get go back to the real world, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of do a little jumping around too here this episode, a little bit, which I thought they handled very well considering. And this is where Layla is getting contacted by Tarot, mm-hmm. you know, the goddess who's guiding Mark and Stephen through the afterlife. Yep. Even though Stephen has now gone overboard, and Mark is waking up in the uh, field of reeds. Yes. So now she is basically saying, "You got to go." and continue the mission. Mm-hmm. And Mark is not coming back. It's now in your hands to do. Mm-hmm. And how she's going about this is she has to go find Harrow and the temple where the gods are yep. and release Khonshu from his prison that they put him in because mm-hmm. when Khonshu started tampering with everything, well... The, God, the other gods didn't take it too kindly. Yeah, they did not exactly like it too much. However, though... At this point, Harrow has now activated the power of Amit mm-hmm. through his staff, which Get, I thought was very cool. Gets a nice upgrade on that staff. Very so, because you see the gator head appear on the end of the staff. Mm-hmm. And as he's going through to test this out, he gets stopped by an army as he's trying to travel to the temple yep. and decides to give it a little test. And you see the true power of Amit. And what happens, Pad, when he slams the staff down? Uh, everyone gets judged per se, uh, and uh, you know whether they're good or bad. And then if you're bad, uh, it uh, they never quite explained it, but I I kind of took it to be their souls were leaving their body. Mm-hmm. I don't think they outright said what happened. Yeah, it's just a weird circumstance where Ahmed is quote unquote judging everybody and being proactive about deciding the fate of everyone. Mm-hmm. And during this use of the powers, I mean, Harrow is very corrupted, so yeah. you know it's very slanted into his favor because yeah. out of everybody that he kills in this one scene, and there has to be at least a dozen soldiers. Oh, easily. There's one that survives. Okay, because it's like an entire checkpoint, so there's got to be. 20 30 guys here Mm -hmm. and it's just really crazy to see how this all kind of shapes up because this is the first time we've really seen harrow go into this direction where now he has powers and and this is like the first time we're seeing the full-fledged powers because he's used powers before but i think even he said oh this is and i'm paraphrasing you know i think he said oh this is only one percent of amit's powers you know this is all that amit would give me now we're seeing amit untethered you know unchained and this is everything Mm mm-hmm it's a real crazy scenario here, but now obviously with Harrow having that power and uh-huh. really using it to the disposal for Ahmed, you're really getting a sense of the danger of this you know, mission, which now has really come to clarification. Not saying it wasn't serious beforehand, right? But there was a lot more back and forth between Kanshu, who we know is not exactly on the up and up with no. everybody. No, he's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, and you're seeing how Mark Spector is the only person that really understands what's going on. But he's been taken off the playing board. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting dynamic that we finally see the true gravity of the situation. Meanwhile, we jump back into the fields of Reed, and Mark Spector is there. Yep. But he is still trying to find a way back because he now feels the guilt mm-hmm. of losing Stephen Grant's his other identity. Mm-hmm. And it's this is something that I thought was very interesting how they played this out because before. They didn't know each other, really. Right, and they really didn't like each other. No, they didn't. But now, obviously, going through the deal last episode, right, where they're stuck in the psychiatric hospital, mm-hmm. and you're still not sure if that was real or that was not. Right. But it turns out it was a, uh, an imagination prison that yep. he was placed in by Amit. Yep. You're now seeing that they're coming together and, and forming that bond, and he's 
you know, hellbent in high water to go reconnect to Steven. Like, he's refusing to let him go. I think it's one of those moments that, like, I know you see an example of this in the first Harry Potter book slash movie. That, like, you know, at the start of, like, once Harry gets to Hogwarts, he's obviously friends with Ron. But, like, Hermione, she's there and, like, because they're in the same year and all this. They go to the same classes. They know each other. They talk. But, like, they're not super friendly. And it's not until you have the troll attack. That, like, you know, and I think the line from the book is even something to the effect of, like, you know, oh, you can't even go something like a troll attack. You know, you can't help but come out of that being friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's something of the same case here that, like, considering everything you've been through and you're dead. Yeah. And now that all of the cards are laid out on the table that, like, Steven knows what's going on in Steven's life. He's been there. He's experienced it. But Mark has been, because of everything he's been through, in his military training, he's very cagey. It's very close to the chest. We're like, there's nothing held back now that, like, all the cards are on the table. And let's face it, once you know everything and you've been through death together, you can't help but get a little closer. Exactly. And this is kind of more closer to the comics a little bit in the, in the sense that where Mark Spector is primarily the identity we all see but does shift from time to time under the circumstance that happens. So this is kind of like a, a little tie to the comics, not so much like, you know, a, a, a complete homage. Right. But there is that element in the book, which I do think it works out in this situation because now Mark has reconnected with Stephen. Meanwhile, as we touched upon, Harrow has now gone to the Temple of the Gods and now has basically slaughtered every god that there is that was imprisoning Khonshu. Well, wasn't it just the... It wasn't the gods themselves. It was just the avatars, which well, kind of cuts them off. They're avatars, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so more or less, like I say, I felt like they killed them off completely because there's no connection. Yeah. But meanwhile, Layla has tracked them down at the temple and has snuck around and found the Ishabi. Uh-huh. And that has Khonshu inside and releases. Yep. So now Khonshu is now walking. Uh-huh. And thus offers the deal to Layla. Oh, boy. Which, I mean, we, we've seen this through a couple episodes prior, too, that Kanchu is double-dealing and obviously oh, yeah. is, is trying to find whoever he thinks is going to be his, you know, rightful fist of Kanchu, the one that dishes out uh, vengeance for the unjust. Yeah, and you really can't take anything Kanchu says at face value. Like, he is double-dealing, triple-dealing, quadruple-dealing. Yeah, like, it's kind of a nod situation, but this does play into a lot of the comics because Kanchu is just one of these characters... You really don't understand the true meaning of what uh-huh. he's doing. He's got plans on plans on plans. Yeah, and it's, and I thought they really played this up because now you're seeing more so in more recent runs uh-huh. the issues with Kanchu. Yeah, and you're seeing that come to life a lot more than we've seen in in previous incarnations. So this I thought was done very well, but Layla is like, no, I'm not going to take this. This isn't going to happen. She like I think she even says like I've seen what you did to Mark and Steven. You made their life an absolute living hell and and they're dead. Why would I want to do that? Mm-hmm. And Conchu is just basically like oh, okay. He's trying to force the issue but he's like, "Well, if you're not going to do this, I need to find another way to stop Ahmed." Right. And I'll, obviously at this time too, we're now seeing that Steven and Mark make this dramatic escape to the gates of Osiris. And they wake back up, mm-hmm. but they more or less recommit to Akanshu uh, at the same time. Well, like, they kind of had to because they're, I think uh, Tuaret even brought it up in the last episode that, like, okay, even if you go through all this and everything works out and you make it back to the real world, you're going to wake up in the real world with a goddamn bullet in your chest. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to, unless you make this deal with Kanchu, you're just going to end up right back where you started. Yeah. 
So they do make an uneasy alliance, even though they are quote unquote promised uh-huh. that they will be, you know, freed from their contract oh, with Conchu. I, I promise once we're done with this, you'll be scot free and clear, wink wink. Yes. So the uneasy alliance is formed, and then Mark Spector becomes Moon Knight. Uh-huh. And the traditional Moon Knight we see in the comics. Yep. So you see him make this dramatic run from where his body was left to catch up with uh, Harrow and, and his forces. Yeah. And it's a very cool action sequence as he's coming in. Yeah, because so. I think he was in, like, the middle of the desert, like, almost the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then they were at one of the great pyramids, you know, that you, you see in the in the, all the photos more towards civilization. Yeah. So at this point, Layla is still trying to fight for her life, but then even she cuts a deal to become the Avatar of Torret. Yeah. And that's a very cool scene to happen. Well, and I think Tora played on her emotions a little bit just because she brought up her father. Yes. That like, oh, I helped you. And she goes, wait, you know my father. Oh, oh yeah, I helped, I helped to escort him across to the Field of Reeds when he passed. You know, he'll be, he'll be thrilled to know I talked to you. Yeah, so one thing to take away from the series is all those Egyptian gods are corrupt. Uh-huh. Every one of them. Well, when you got that much power and you've been around as long as they are, yeah, they're not on the up. Right, like something's going on here too. So even though Tarot seems the best one of them that we've met thus far. Thus far, yeah. Thus far, you know, make sure to make a note of that. So you do see that Layla has now become an avatar. She's now having some powers of her With own. With a dope-ass costume. Yes, indeed. Oh. Yes, indeed. Have to applaud the costume designers for this one. And Mark Spector finally makes his way back to catch up to everybody. Meanwhile, Harrow and Ahmet have now gone into Cairo. Uh-huh. And now are fully trying to take over everybody and judging everybody. So they're getting more powerful as it's going. And that was one thing I maybe maybe I missed on. You know, maybe it was it was a scene I kind of my attention lapsed. But like I don't remember because you get to the scene where, you know, Ahmet starts like, oh, judge everybody and and the sky starts getting weird and the mm-hmm. purple lights start flying up and all the people in Cairo start going, well, what the hell's going on? And you got the one person, like the, the scale tattoo shows up on the followers arms. And I was like, I don't remember them mentioning he's got a bunch of followers. So if I'm wrong and they did mention that, I apologize. But like, if they didn't, I would have liked to have at least gotten a little explanation on that because to me, it seemed like it was out of left field. See, I think where they were going with it, the way I interpreted it. And I mean, you're right. I don't think they came out right and said it, but I think that Ahmet, since he was taking over more people, were becoming more avatars for him. Mm, maybe. And it was kind of like spreading, you know, almost like a centipede, so to speak. So this is where I thought they were, you know, sending his forces out and this causing the reaction so he'd become more powerful. Yeah. But meanwhile, while he's on top of a pyramid doing this, Mark Spector finally shows up. Uh-huh. And we get a great action sequence, even though, like, the entire time of him flying there was cool. And then when he finally gets there, they're having a, a nonstop battle. Yeah. Khonshu shows up to fight Amit. They're all fighting. Layla jumps in. This is probably the strongest point of the episode, I thought. And I we got to know, you know, for as much issue as they had switching back and forth between Mark and Steven, they're doing it flawlessly. Now, yes. Which was awesome to see. Yes. So, like, they were doing this perfectly because what they've done is they've given Stephen Grant the Mr. Knight persona. Uh-huh. And they haven't really done this, per se, in the comics, at least the ones I've read. So this is something interesting that they're going to give them, like, his specific identity right? as Mr. Knight. And then you have Mark Spector is going to be Moon Knight, as we know. 
And they were like you touched upon, they were going back flawlessly. And Stephen Grant has now become very comfortable being Moon Knight. Yeah. Which is something I thought was very interesting to see how just the evolution of the character was going here. And as they're fighting back and forth, and this is all going into the the basic plan because Layla has come to the ideas that, okay, if the gods can connect Amit into his avatar, we have a chance to stop him. Yep. So this is where the end game is going for this. Because I think the only other option they had was to use the statue thing again. Mm-hmm. But since that was destroyed, well, that's out. Yeah, so this it's just the way that she, this has been determined. Like, we have to force Amit into Harrow. It's a long shot, but it's better than nothing. But it's all they got. And they do find the way to do this, because even though Harrow is doing this, he, uh, he underestimates him, though, in one mm-hmm. aspect. Because... Mark Spector, he's defeating quite easily. Stephen Grant even more because he's yeah. not a trained fighter, so to speak. Right. But then we go back to a little plot hole that was around issue th- or episode three. Mm-hmm. Where both of them black out. Yep. And when Mark Spector comes to... Uh, everyone's dead. Cars are overturned. Several of them are on fire. Yeah. Layla's looking at him like, what the fuck? Yes. And... This is the point where everybody watching at home, and I think this is going to be the most confusing point mm-hmm. until the final scene of the show, is what just happened. Well, it's it's another hint because, like you mentioned in episode three, there was a scene where Mark blacked out, or no, excuse me, Stephen blacked out, and then he was like, wait, was that you? But it was kind of dry. I don't think anything, I don't think Mark responded to him. I think Stephen just asked, you know, and I could be wrong. I think Stephen just asked, hey, was that you? And it just mm-hmm. kind of got dropped there. But we get to this scene. And I think it's Mark's in control. Yeah. And he goes, Stephen, was that you? And then Stephen pops in and goes, no, it wasn't me. Yeah. And then they just kind of go from there. Right. Which, if you're just getting introduced to Moon Knight right now, you're going to be a little lost right here. If you're a longtime comic reader, as we mentioned last week, Mm -hmm. we had a feeling yeah, you you had an idea where this was going. Even we though we knew something was going to happen, just it was a matter of getting there. Even though I want to give credit to Ron from Three FM, okay, because he did come up with a theory. Sure, and I'm going to mention this at the end. Okay, but when he said this, I almost thought his theory came true, mm. and I thought this would have been completely cool to do if they were going to do this. So obviously. Mark Spector is now waking back up. Yep. Harrow is defeated. Uh Uh-huh. And basically now they have him imprisoned, and Ahmed is now inside, so Khonshu is now one. It's almost a happy ending. Uh, What is it? Harrow's brain dead, it appears. He, he like... He's there and he's looks like he's conscious, but he ain't moving. No, he's he's basically out of it completely. And Khonshu is basically screaming at Spector... Kill him. Mm-hmm. Because we can't take any chances with Amit coming back. Yeah, let's say we've been down this road once before. Let's not do it again. Yeah. But Spectre doesn't go along with the plan, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was going, okay, now you're having the redemption moment. Yeah. That maybe now being connected with Steven as he is, mm-hmm. he's kind of softened his ways. Well, and I think it's just a case of Steven opening Mark's eyes to things that, like, Mark was very gung-ho, very in on it, because he had kind of like a singular view and a singular path of how he looked at it. Mm -hmm. But then getting exposed to Steven and going through everything they did, including death, he's like, all right, I think there's one path to this, but there's more than one way to do this. Right. So during this moment, they let Amit live. Mm -hmm. 
and Harold lives. So it's kind of like the, well, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And then they talk in the deal about Khonshu releasing them. Yep. So all of a sudden we go back to the psychiatric hospital that Mark had been in, and Harold was the, the psychiatrist working with him. Mm-hmm. And Mark picks up that this is not real. Yeah. So then I honestly thought, well, was this Conchu's plan all along? Mm, maybe. Because suddenly well, Amit's gone, so it couldn't be the So pri- to speak. Right, but for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But for going back to that, that imaginary prison, so to speak. Right. Well, who was really behind the scenes of this after all? So maybe it was Conchu. Kind of an interesting mm, thought maybe. with that. So they reject it and basically go back to the normal life. You see Stephen Grant wakes up. It was almost like a lucid dream type of thing. Yeah. So did it really happen? Like, I understand they're trying to go like a little bit Inception here. Yeah. yeah no, they did. But so it kind of left the, you know, the viewers at home watching and going, what's going on here? I thought it just, yeah, obviously they just came back to and now Stephen Grant is going to start the life over knowing Mark Spector is in him. Mm-hmm. And we go from here. Albeit, though. That is how that ends, mm-hmm. but we get, obviously, with every single Marvel show, we get a bonus scene. Right. And now we see that Harrow is completely broken in a hospital. It looks like the same psychiatric hospital from the dream sequence, mm-hmm. whatever death sequence, whatever, but it, no, this, this is real. No, this is real. And you see that he's not the clean-cut psychiatrist with a mustache. No, he is literally looking like he just got the crap kicked out uh-huh. of him. Uh-huh. He's sitting there, he's drawn he's doing something he knocks stuff over oh time for bed time for bed mm-hmm. uh person walks up speaking spanish mm-hmm. uh and they go and well then the nurse is very confusing and the gentleman says in spanish uh no i'll take care of it. i'll take care of him and she's and she's further confused because she doesn't speak spanish mm-hmm. uh and the per and the, the, this person because they do a great job with the cinematography yeah you never see who it is i think you see the back of them but like it's not it's they're well disguised enough that you can't tell who it is uh, so they take out uh, Harrow in, in, in his wheelchair. They wheel past the reception desk. And the camera does a very deliberate point to stop moving, even though the wheelchair with Harrow in it keeps moving. And you see a uh, ner- male nurse working the receptionist's desk. And uh, he's lying on the ground in a pool of blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you walk out of, they wheel him out of the uh, hospital. They put him in a white limousine. Uh, and they toss away the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the wheelchair. The wheelchair. Uh, and we get in the car, and who's in the car? Conchu. Uh-huh. Now, this is a little play to the comics, too, because Conchu is sitting in there, and he's talking with Harrow, and Harrow is completely lost at what's going on. But he's. I felt like he was still showing some signs of, like, he's not 100% there given what happened, but, like, he still like was like, oh, there was a little bit of something there. Mm-hmm. And then Khonshu says, well, why don't you meet my avatar, Jake Lockley? Uh, yeah, he was like, oh, just because Mark and, Mark and Steven thought I was done with him, they actually thought I was a no, meet my most loyal avatar. Yep. And thus comes down the limo window, and it's Mark Spector's body, but this is the third identity of Moon Knight. If you've read the comics, and we did mention this was the one that was in the coffin yep. in the previous episode... This is Jake Lockley, who is maniacally giggling uh-huh. as he pulls out the gun and shoots Harrow and kills him. Yep. And that's how it ends. Uh-huh. So, overall, thought it was good. Yeah. Thought it was a really good ending. Uh, but like you touched upon, they really kind of sped through. 
Ron's theory, though, and I want to give credit for this because I was talking with him. I was talking with Rich from 3FN. Both those guys are big Moon Knight fans. If you want to talk Moon Knight, definitely hit, those, hit them up at 3 Fat Nerds Pod. Ron was kind of hinting that maybe it wasn't going to be Jake Lockley's personality. Sure. That it might have been like they did in one comic run where he was thinking he was Wolverine. Okay. And and obviously with how vicious he was. Okay. I thought like maybe they were going to do something like that. Like oh, it, sure, like it would, sure. You know, say it was like James Howlett or something. Yeah, that yeah, variation. Yeah. yeah. Because in the comics, Mark Spector's always been the mercenary. So that's been nothing new. Stephen Grant has always been the, the billionaire playboy. Right. Like that's been his character. And Jake Lockley has always been the cab driver, ear to the street. He's not exactly been the ruthless killer per se mm-hmm. as much so as like Mark Spector. So seeing this you know personality has been, you know, a really interesting dynamic yeah. that's been going on too. So seeing how this all came kind of came together, it's been really interesting to see how they're going to run with Jake Lockley as the personality nobody knows about Mm -hmm. or the identity rather. Yeah. And now that that will carry over to, we're assuming it's going to be season two. It has to be. It has to be at this stage because even if they wanted to leave it off and just end it there, I don't think they can. And I don't think that that is the plan. No, I'm just not sure exactly where they're going to go for season two. They have a lot of stories they can tell. So it's not like, in example to Iron Fist, where mm-hmm. there really isn't a lot. Yeah. They've got some stories to tell. Because obviously Moon Knight being around since 1975 and obviously picking up steam over the re- most recent years in, in sure. Marvel Comics. They've got some stories they can get into. So where we're going from here is very, very interesting. Yeah. But I thought overall they did a great job about explaining to the Marvel cinematic fans mm-hmm. who Moon Knight was. Yeah. And they didn't really overcomplicate it in the yeah, sense Yeah, they of kept like, it fairly simple. They kept it very simple. And where they're going to go in the future, like I think that cinematic fans are going to have to get used to. Sure. He is very violent. Yeah. So they're not going to... You're going to see a little more Jake Lockley's personality yeah. come out. Um. Just how it's mixing in with you know everybody else is going to be very interesting to see how this plays. This was definitely like a training wheels are on kind of thing. Get your toes wet, get you, and get the fans who aren't familiar with the character introduced to this character. Um, but no, once season two starts, those training wheels are going to start coming off. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely going to get more more violent as it goes. So if somebody really was kind of worried about like, well, is you know, are we really going to pick up steam? Because like I say in the comics, there really is not punches pulled. And, no, and, well, there's a, there's a, a, what is it, rating settings on uh, Disney Plus now. Mm-hmm. And I think that the success of this show will be the catalyst to open up the doors for more characters like Moon Knight to show up. Punisher. Uh-huh. Punisher will be the first one we see come through that door at some point. Now, do I think that maybe they would bring him back in the current storyline that they're doing right now in the comics as the leader of the hand? Possibly. Maybe. You know, I think that might be the segue to get him back, even though it will be a, a a weird dynamic just to kind of throw him in there and do that. Mm-hmm. But it all depends on how the Netflix characters are going to get introduced. We do know they are coming. When we know Bern, John Bernthal has said he's down to reprise the character again, but it has to be for the right story. Yes, but all intents and purposes, it's going to happen. Just with the powers that be at Marvel right now, I think it'll just be kind of mixed into more so 
of the super heroic aspects sure. instead of like how grounded Punisher sure. was for Netflix. Sure. But it still gives a lot to, you know, be in, excited about as a fan. But seeing how they pulled this off on Disney Plus, I think is the win itself. I think that that's what we all have to take away as fans. I know they differed from the comics a lot. Oh, yeah. And I know that that's one thing I've read online that some people have been very angry about. And I get that because for a lot of fans, Moon Knight is their guy, mm-hmm. like their number one hero. Because when he's done well in the comics, there's it's great comics to read. Mm-hmm. Like it's really something that you go, okay, I understand the buzz behind this character. Because otherwise you see him, in, and I know in some early incarnations there's a lot of comparisons to Batman. Right. When you dive into it, it's not there. Like, they're two different characters for a lot of different reasons. So now with season two uh, uh, coming up on and how well Oscar Isaac did this, yeah, it's a, it's all but a sure lock we're going to go. Oh, it has with. to be. But in what kind of aspect are we going to see him in? That's going to be the fun part. That I just I don't have a trajectory. I'm not sure where they could go. I mean, they could have him obviously fight his brother that's presumed dead, but it's not. Could be. That would make probably the most sense. But this is a situation that Marvel has really opened up a playbook that they can go with. And Oscar Isaac just knocked it out of the park with this. Him and, you know, it, it sucks to see Ethan Hawke's character get killed, but mm-hmm. it's comics. That's Yeah, they, they can, can always come back. Because I think the only loophole that I have for this show that they haven't explained is the thing about cutting glass on his feet. Oh, uh, yeah. Because they never really kind of explained the purpose of that. Yeah. Yeah, reasons. Other than the suffer, even though that did come into play because that's when Steve, uh, Mark Spector realized in the psychiatric ward right. that, oh, wait, this is something's not right here, and yeah. that's how they left. Yeah. So how this all gets thrown together, it's been a fun show to watch. Has it been the number one show out of Disney Plus, do you think, or the Marvel Universe? Um, For me, no. You know, it, it's certainly, I've certainly enjoyed it, but like, it, I'm not going to sit, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is the best one that you should start with this one and then go through all the others. Like, definitely watch it, definitely get to it, but like, yeah, it, it, it's not bad. No, I think that this is definitely something that if you're a longtime comic reader like myself, you love this. And, you, you know, seeing these characters come on screen, because you have to remember, if, if you're older like I am, to a degree, Seeing a character like Moon Knight ever in an incarnation of a TV or movie is astronomical to see. Like, it's just so weird to me that we live in a day and age that Ant-Man is a profitable movie franchise. And going on a third film. Yeah. Like, how? Why? Same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. But this is one thing that when Marvel gets a hold of a character they can definitely run with and do, I think it's going to win some fans over. And hopefully that translates to comic sales because that's what they should be doing. And just in the current runs that are going to be going on with Marvel, they should definitely take the momentum and run with this. But with Oscar Isaac definitely making his mark as the newest entry into the MCU, I think there's a lot to build off of. I think the only thing that you'll be a little disappointed is if you're a diehard for the comics, they did differ a lot. Well, and especially if you're going into it, which you never should be, expecting a one-to-one translation. Yeah, but I think for overall, for going through the Disney route, I think that this is a situation where... It was okay with what they did. Yeah. And I think now how they go for season two, that's going to be the real tell. That my, that was my biggest thing. Like, I, I enjoyed the show, but, like, still, the pay, the one, two issues I had with the season overall pacing, mm-hmm. and then just the story. The story was, was good for an intro, for an origin story, but it didn't feel as strong as it could have been. Yeah. So, we'll have to wait and see how this all shapes up. But ODPH Society... 
Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Moon Knight Season 1 is done. Give us your thoughts. Did you love the show? Did you hate the show and why? Let's discuss this, but remember, keep it spoiler-free for 72 hours. Let's not ruin it for anybody. After that embargo's lifted, let's talk in full spoiler detail. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And it is time to talk the best show on the CW Network. Yes. By far and away, and this is Superman and Lois. If you're not familiar, you need to get familiar. The Man of Steel has returned to the small screen in a big way. Tyler Hoechlin is playing the title role of Clark Kent. Elizabeth Tolick is playing Lois Lane. And they brought their family from from Metropolis to Smallville. Mm -hmm. And all the hijinks going on there has been definitely must-watch TV. And I know that there's been a lot of cancellations in the Arrowverse, and we'll talk about that a little later in the show. But with what they're doing with the CW taking a hold of Superman and Lois and making that the new franchise show, we can all breathe a little easy as DC fans, Yes, in my opinion. Yes. And obviously, Season 2 is kicked off in a very unique way, kind of dancing around, introducing us to a surprise villain of the season that we didn't really see coming. And obviously, we have to talk about the latest episode entitled Truth and Consequences. And obviously, Pad, we're going to get your spoiler-free statement, and then we're going to go countdown. So what did you think about the latest episode? Uh, I know we had some criticisms uh, with last week's episode just because it felt like a filler episode if we're talking anime terms. Um, Because the story lasted 40-whatever minutes because, hey, commercials. Mm -hmm. But it literally moved zero steps forward. Uh, This episode... Far and away better, amazing episode. Also got to know, directed by David Ramsey. Ooh, yeah, did that, not know that. Neither did I until I just looked at it. Yeah, directed by Diggle. That's what we like to hear. And obviously, I, this was a step up in the right direction from last week. Last week's was one of the rare misfires they do with the show uh-huh. that you've been watching since season one. It's usually on point. I mean, not every episode has been perfect. But last week's episode was like, whoa, yeah. where are we going from here one of the rare instances like i said last week one of the rare instances i got to the end of the show and felt well there's an hour of my life wasted yeah but they definitely rebounded this week so that being said let's get into spoiler talk for this you know the deal by now we're going to go into the spoiler deep dive in three two one pad what did you think like i said this episode was far and away better than the one last week Loved every minute of it from start to finish. And there was one point, 
at the towards the end of the episode thought they were going to do something that I was very surprised and then they didn't do it but still uh great episode overall you know anytime you get Jordan Elsass who plays Jonathan Kent some screen time yeah he's doing work on this show yeah he is definitely in my opinion the MVP of the show somebody's got to tweet that at him too we are big fans of him here but this is where I thought he really stepped up his game him going against Tyler Hoechlin for majority of the episode back and forth was very cool because as we talked about, this season has been a surprise for the villains because we originally thought we were getting Doomsday because when the season began, Clark was having weird headaches. They were alluding mm-hmm. to somebody was trapped in a mine. The character of, even looked like Doomsday. Yes, at one point the costume was very accurate to the green costume you saw before the infamous death of Superman storyline. The uh, spacesuit. Yes. But then it turned out to be none other than Bizarro, uh-huh. the classic Superman villain who does everything backwards from our <laughs> notable uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, and this show has gave him a redeeming story arc that he was actually on a mission to save the universe. Yeah, because of a cult leader named Allie who is trying to merge both worlds into one and become the most powerful being in the in the uh, Earth Prime universe. It's like Bizarro's story, very on brand for him, trying to save the world, but destroys everything in the process. Mm-hmm. And obviously, last week's episode, we got the origin asterisk yeah. of Bizarro, which yeah. did so much jumping around. Yeah. It's a tough watch. I'm... I don't think I'm wrong in that statement, Pad. No, you're not. It, it, you know, when you're jumping around from like Clark flying our, you know, Earth One, Earth Prime, Clark flying through the portal, you know, and arriving on Earth, and then meeting with John L, and then you jump to Bizarro Superman, but then you jump, you know, another scene starts, and it's further in the past where the boys aren't born yet. There's just way too much jumping around. There was way too much. But it finally just got to the end game that the Jonathan of Bizarro World, who looks like a great mix of Connor Kent and Superboy from the '90s, like the good. It's just the mix of everybody. I maintain the uh, the O five emo uh, emo band uh, called. They want their unif- uh, outfit back. Well, like I say, it's just the two different versions. Because I always say the original one. I know it's it's uh, it's always yeah, been, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always been Connor Kent. But whenever I see the leather jacket come on. I'm going, okay, that's the clone Kent. Mm -hmm. That's how I read him in. But this is a good mix of both, and Jordan Elsess is running away with this character because now he's stepped through the portal. He's ready to go merge with his other half. Superman now is finally back on our Earth. Uh, He almost pulls off merging with his other self. He starts the process. He starts it, but... Uh, uh, Jordan gets his ass kicked. Yes, Jordan Kent, played by Alex Garfin, uh, jumps in the middle because he's the one with powers on this universe. Yeah, and I think even uh, John L says, oh, of course the weak one gets the powers on this Earth. Yeah, so it's a, it's a cool play because he's just being so snarky. It's working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's winning this over. Like, in my, in my opinion, he's Superboy Prime from the DC Comics pages. So definitely cool seeing this in, incarnation of him on screen. So as they're trying to go back and forth, yeah, it almost happens, but John L sneaks away. Yeah. And then Clark is sitting there basically trying to put back the pieces. But it just has not been exactly going his way because John L's like two steps ahead of him. Yeah. And he has his mission that he's trying to merge with himself, but he's trying to also merge other people in Smallville. Mm-hmm. And this is where Clark is really trying to track him down. Yep. And he does catch wind of where John L is because John mm-hmm. starts having those headaches like Clark did at the beginning yeah. of the season. Yep. And he starts getting visions of where he is, and he's noticing that John L is at the diner. Mm-hmm. 
and he's trying to get in touch with Lana. Yep. So this goes completely haywire for Clark because his best friend in the entire world, Lana Lang, played by the one and only Emmanuel Kirky, is now in danger. And uh-huh. this is something that Clark's very protective of. He does have feelings for Lana, just as being a, yeah. a friend for life. Like, that's his best friend. Yeah. But he's now like, okay, everybody's in danger because of me. So he makes the valiant save, run, you know, flying into town, even though he's in street clothes. Yeah. Hey, which, it's dark. It's at night. Which I get, yeah, because I know there was some criticism about, like, why he wasn't in the suit. Like, listen, at this stage, he's it's Smallville. He's experienced enough. He knows not to get caught. Right. So he's trying to go in there, and then Lana comes out of the diner, but John and L is staring across the street. Uh-huh. And you're seeing that Lana is trying to explain, like, well, you've been gone for a month. I'm now the mayor of Smallville. Well, she no, she doesn't even explain that. She just asks him, oh, where have you been? What assignment were you working on? Well, she's on? trying to tell him. So, yeah, she's she's trying to ask him about the, you know, because Lois gave Lana the excuse, you know, because they have to come up with something. Oh, he's on assignment in Metropolis. And, and Lana starts asking, oh, how was, how was Metropolis? What? Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you Lois said you were on assignment. I was? Yeah. So it's a kind of cool scene because Clark is stumbling to talk to his friend because he has not revealed his secret to her. And he also wants to, you know, push Lana out of the way in like the worst way possible because, hey, I've got something really important right now and you're not it. Yes. But once this kind of goes, it just it's a fail because John, yeah. John L. takes off. Yeah. And Clark is left going, okay, where do we go from here? Albeit, though, the next day is where things get very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because we see Lana is now giving her daughter Sarah a car. Nice car. A very nice car. Yeah. But as she's backing out of the house driveway, Chanel is standing there. No, uh-huh. granted, she's sitting there looking at him, going, like, well, wait. You're, what are you doing here? Like, where are you why are you dressed like that? Like, what are you doing here? And he's just sitting there being as snarky and rude as possible. Yeah, she's like, Oh, hey, don't you like my new car? And he goes, oh, it's all right. I've been into Lambos lately, though. Yeah. And she's like, all right, well, fuck you. I love that line. Like, he just, the delivery he gives uh-huh. in it is just perfect. And she's like, wow, like, thank, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate this. And she drives off just staring in the rearview mirror at him going, like, what was that? Uh-huh. And you, and you can, if you look at his face in the rearview mirror, you can tell he's got ulterior motives. Oh, absolutely. As he goes in the house because Lana is still there. What are you doing here? Yeah, she's like, well, Jonathan, what are you doing here? And he is saying, well, you know, we got some business to handle, so yeah. to speak. And he actually shoves her into a wall, knocking her unconscious. Yep. Because he's trying to merge her with the incoming Lana from the bizarro world mm-hmm. because they were partners yep. on that planet. And she's got powers on that planet. Yeah. And she's got powers. So he's just trying to enhance the army of Ali on this earth. Yep. So while this is going on, Clark is in there just completely like lost of what's going on until he finally figures out, okay, what has happened because Lois was paying a visit to Sarah, mm-hmm. trying to smooth things over, whatever is going on there yep. with you know Sarah and, and Jordan, which I think is, Getting to the point now with the show, like when it's done well, it's good, but mm-hmm. the romance it drags out a lot mm-hmm. between those two. So yeah. this was an episode I felt it dragged a little bit. Yeah. And obviously when this happens, John L makes the play to get Superman to show up mm-hmm. and says, like, basically tips his hand, like, Yeah, I have Lana, what are you gonna do? Yeah. And he's in this warehouse type deal and sets up one of the coolest sequences I can remember. For somebody setting a trap for Superman. Yeah. Because Lana's trapped. You know, she's shackled up. It's like a meat cooler. Or it's yeah. Like, it's like some sort of cold storage for food or something. Yeah. It's like I said, it's a, it's a storage warehouse. Yeah. And there's a gas tank 
right by the door. Uh-huh. And you, and you just see, like, Jordan is me- – uh, Jonathan's messing with it. And, like, you, you can't see what he's doing. And basically he's, like, just being patient. And yeah. Lana's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm just waiting for Superman. Because La- Lana has no idea what the hell's going on. She thinks this is Jonathan of their earth. And she's mm-hmm. like, you know, your parents are worried about you. I know you're going through a rough patch. You got kicked out of school. And he's like, and he he's playing. Matter of fact, he's like no hold cards to the chest. Like I, I think he even says at one point, I am not the Jonathan you know. But she doesn't take it to what it means. She takes it like, oh, he's just going through a phase. But yeah, he's not. No, he's definitely not. So once he draws Superman to show up, he does one of the coolest sequences I think we've seen on the show. Very inventive too. Yeah, absolutely. He blows up the gas tank there, uh-huh. which is, it's huge. So it's oh, a yeah. big, it's a big fire. Oh yeah. And obviously the flame is going to engulf Lana. And Clark goes, oh, I can stop this. Yeah, so he jumps in front of it. Well, all of a sudden you see Clark just go down. Yeah, it looks like he's getting hit by bullets. Yeah, he's getting hit by bullets, but, Pad, what are they? Uh, shards of kryptonite. Yes. How ingenious was this? That's that's an evil level of ingenious. My God, I was like, oh, this, I, I'm on board with this. Because how creative. Like you, That's very creative. Yeah. You know, even Lex Luthor hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, kudos to the writing staff on this, because this is just a dope idea. And Jonathan's just standing, John L. is just standing over him. He's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to stop us, so I'm just going to kind of take care of business here. Yep. And stabs him, too, and leaves oh. him. Like, how brutal was that scene? But oh, like, that was brutal. But it works. It's It works on, like, every single level. Meanwhile, while this is going on, you see that John Henry Irons is back yep. in the scene, which, I mean, we hadn't seen him in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always great seeing Wally Parks, you yeah. know, re-show up on the show. Because big fan of, like, how he does John Henry Irons, obviously, with his daughter Natalie, played by Taylor Buck. And they're basically trying to figure out, okay, like, everything is going haywire here in Smallville. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to get more power for my suit. Well, and they're... And- Clark is recruited John in to try he, like he's filled him in with what's going on in the whole other dimension and the portal and this and that and he's recruited John into trying help to help Clark close this portal because hey nothing good is going to come out of this portal like the one thing you know we went in there to save is dead you mm-hmm. know as we know from last week's episode we need to close this thing now and who better to consult with than a man who came through a portal yeah so it makes perfect sense yeah Albeit, though, when they're trying to close that portal, because now they're in the, the mine where every, all the action's happening. Yep. And they get a surprise visitor. Uh-huh. And that is the Bizarro Lana. Yeah. And she is not happy to see them. No. They're all going like, what's going on here? Kicking John's ass. Uh, John tells Natalie to leave. And she's like, no, I don't want to leave you. He's like, no, you really need to leave. No. And Natalie... Phew, does what everybody should be doing in this situation. She is not running away. Nope. She pops out some of that X kryptonite from the the mine there. Yep. They get loose. And she stabs Lana. Yeah. Which is like, how badass was that? That was good. I was applauding. Like, this episode, like, picked up some steam because it's like, we are not screwing around anymore. Like, well, you can't. No, and, and, and that's one thing with the show. Like, I like to see them get very realistic about it, even though we're in a superhero world. Sure. It makes sense. Well, and you got to think, like, the only person who would probably stab a superpowered person coming through with some not-so-friendly motives is Natalie. Mm -hmm. Because she's been in this scenario, and John, too, to a lesser extent, but... Do you really expect John to stab a woman who looks like his wife for any circumstances? Yeah. I don't see it happening. No. You know, but Natalie would because Natalie's been in that situation where 
the Superman-like powered people take over and start running things. And she didn't like what happened. Right. You know, so she's got no qualms about doing it because she's seen what happens. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, while this is going on, John's trying to meet, John L is trying to meet up with the bizarre Lana. And while en route, Jordan makes the save again. Yeah. And we get one of the best fight scenes we have seen in recent memory on the CW. Uh-huh. At OD Parlay Hour, if you want to argue this. They are fighting in the space or in the sky and like almost heating around space. They're going at it. Like this is one of those things you see in like the movies. Yeah. And I loved how the special effects teams, like we always kind of say with the show, the special effects team goes all in on one scene per episode. Uh-huh. Like pretty much. Pretty much. They went all in and nailed this one. Yeah, because we got an allusion to something happening earlier in the episode when mm-hmm. Clark first came back and, you know, John L got chased off. And he's talking to Lois and the boys, you know, everything like he's given, you know, it's, I think it's coming out of a commercial break. So he's explaining them everything about this, about this earth. And they're really concerned, like, well, he's really powerful. He kicked Jordan's ass, basically. And, and Clark goes, yeah, but if he's anything like Bizarro, Superman, the yellow sun will weaken him over time. So we don't know how much time has passed, but he showed up to Earth Prime at night. It's now daytime. So it's got to have been at least 12 hours, if, if not more. So at this point, he is starting to feel the effects of the yellow sun. Right. And Jordan takes full advantage of this. In fact, given knockout blow after knockout blow uh-huh. in, in the sky until finally they have that moment where they just basically knock each other out. And Jordan winds up getting the upper hand, even yeah. though he is, he's doing the free fall. Superman comes and makes a save. Yep. John, John L. crashes down, and even in his groggy state, Jordan gets that one last shot in. Like, because I, just, think, I think Jordan wanted to kill him, but Clark stopped him. And so he's just like, all right, this, yep. is, this is for my brother. Yep. Knockout. Yep, knockout blow. So John L. is now arrested by the DOD. Mm-hmm. And then how they end this show, I understand it, but I'm like... I thought they were going a different way. I did too. I thought they were going with a recent comic run. Yep. I, I They start discussing, because it's been this whole focal point over Clark and revealing his identity and how much issue it caused the family and whether it protects him or not. And it gets brought up in a family conversation about revealing his identity. And I thought they were going to go with the run they did in the comics recently where Clark revealed his identity to the world. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, are we about to do this? No. He decides, all right, I've heard her too much over the years and it's getting real hard to explain to Lana what's going on because one of the scenes we do see is Clark is rescued by Lana. Mm-hmm. He, you know, she's oh, really, she saves him from the kryptonite. She saves him from the kryptonite. He explain she's really concerned about Jordan because she doesn't under or Jonathan because she doesn't quite know what's going on and she's really concerned about the the Kents because oh it'll hurt him and it, it'll be really hard on the family and this that and the other. And he's like and and Superman is able to explain things away because it's Superman telling her these things. It's not Clark, but he still feels guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And he brings it up to the family. And this is where I thought they were going to go the whole, let's tell the world. No, he, he decides, all right, let's go tell Lana. Right. After he has the family vote, which the only one smart there was John. Uh-huh. John said, no, absolutely not. Every, but Lois was all in and, and well, Jordan's blinded because he's like, well, you know, if you tell her, that means I could tell Sarah about my powers. And, yeah. And why, Sarah, why I've been having uh, disappearance issues. Yeah. Even, and even though that's now finally been broken up, hopefully, uh, which I mean, I, I understand why it's, it's, they're trying to play up the teenage romance, but yeah. like I say, when it's done well, it's good. But this one just felt like it was dragging this episode. Like he just kept making him whining about it. Ah, I digress. But we do, do get the final scene where, 
Clark uh, stops Lana, who's driving in Smallville. She's confused how he got there. Yep, and then he does the smart thing. He takes the glasses off. Well, he tries explaining it like, no, I was there. She's like, yeah. what? what do you mean? And he goes, ah, oh, fine. Yep, finally takes the glasses off, does a little float, freezes a tree with the ice breath. And she goes, oh, my God. Yeah. And, you're Superman. And now it sinks in, and that's the final shot. And mind you, he's on, like, I-75 floating in the air. Yeah, but Smallville. Yeah. Reasons. Either way, this was a really good episode. Fantastic episode. Yeah, really, it really got back on track from where they should have been. Because last week's was bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm. I can't spin it any nicely. No, it was. It was bad. It was a bad episode last week. Like you can honestly skip it and not miss anything. No, your facts. Absolutely facts. So now they're going to be off for a couple more weeks. Um, they're due back at the end of May. Oh, are they really? Because I was watching it back on DVR, and of course my DVR cut it off. Yeah, I believe. Uh, I believe they're done at the end of the month. Okay. Uh, they'll be returning. So. It's gonna be a little wild to digest it, but it's perfect time to jump in on the show if you haven't been watching. Like it's it's really been something to get uh, get on board with. Minus last week's episode, we'll put that out there right now. You can just skip that one. But Pad, final thoughts on the episode? Fantastic episode, very much a rebound from the weeks prior, and I'm real interested to see where they go with this because unlike how they did it in Smallville, I don't think uh, Lana's gonna take this real well. I'm not sure where they're gonna go with it, but you know what? I'm here for it, and I think that. It's going to get really interesting to see how they're going to finish the season off. I'm not sure the directions, but this is one thing that the show does very well. They don't tip off too much. And now, even with a cast this big, they juggle around very well. Yeah. So I know it'll be a big blowout when it comes down at the end of the month, and obviously we'll be talking about it, but what a way to come back and get back on track. So kudos to you over at Superman Lois. Great episode. But don't take our word for it. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod, and give us your opinion of the show. We definitely want to talk to everybody about this. Entitled Truth and Consequences, Episode 11 of Season 2. Let's talk, shall we, ODPH Society? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC Universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Back again for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And it's time to go back to the movies. Uh Uh-huh. Super excited about this because as we are recording, it is time to go back to the MCU yes. with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh-huh. So obviously this is a sequel to the Doctor Strange movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch in the title role of Doctor Stephen Strange. Yep. And he has obviously got some companions this time around coming off the effects of Endgame. We do see Elizabeth Olsen is reprising her role as Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. Yes. 
And where we're going from here, Pad, how do we break this down? Uh, well, this is kind of the culmination of things that from uh, the TV show Loki, mm-hmm. uh, the TV show WandaVision, uh, What If also, uh, and then obviously Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. Mm-hmm. You know, where the multiverse has kind of been broken open, things have gotten real weird, things got gotten real quake, uh, crazy, and, you know, with all those things added in, well, you eventually got to make the final calculation and get to the conclusion. Yes, indeed. So we are going to give you our preview of the movie. Yeah, we want, and we do want to stress, you know, we're not going to be spoiling, spoiling anything. I will warn you. There are spoilers out there. Mm-hmm. I will not say, but unfortunately, I might have had something spoiled for me uh, while perusing social media during the last week. I will not say what it is because I'm not sure if it's real or not, and I don't want to be the one to, like, say it and be like, ruin it for other people if it ends up being true. That being said, you know, if you got to go onto Twitter and mute certain words and mute certain hashtags, certainly do so. I would avoid, you know, it's even gotten to the point where Marvel has turned off the replies on their social media stuff on Twitter. You know, avoid YouTube videos, avoid the Instagram reels, avoid TikTok, avoid the YouTube shorts or whatever they're called. Like, don't go scrolling through anything because you're inevitably going to come up on something and get spoiled. Yes, indeed. So we do stress the 72-hour embargo from when the movie drops on Thursday. Keep it spoiler-free off social media. You know, on social media, rather. Don't spoil it on there for everybody. Uh It sucks that we know people that have had the movie spoiled for them. Yeah. Now, there have been some great podcasts that have been fortunate enough to go to the early premieres. Epic Film Guys gave the perfect non-spoiler review. I retweeted it. I will shout them out. That's what you should be doing if you're going to these early. Don't ruin this for the masses to get clickbaits. Because when you do, I'm going to put you on block. That's what you do. So, we are going to give you our preview of what we think is going to happen. Give us, you know, the the quote-unquote locks and leaps, if you will, yeah. if you listen to the sports show. So with this is going to be kind of an interesting setup. Sam Raimi is going to be doing the directing, obviously, here. Yes. Excited to see him return to the superhero realm. And when you see this is the ramifications from No Way Home and Doctor Strange has now opened up the multiverse, it's really going to be telling to see how this is all going to be portrayed. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been so much speculation about who's in this and who's not. Yep. I just want to go into this film and say, okay, I want to see something different than I've seen in the MCU thus far. Sure. You know, I, I always stress this. You sure. know, I don't like to see the cookie cutter mentality, you know, for the most of the films. Because sometimes it does happen. It's cookie cutter. Sure. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Exactly. So with this, with Sam Raimi at the helm, I want to see this go into more of a horror aspect. Sure. I want to see this go in some different directions. And obviously dealing with how we've tapped now into the multiverse and WandaVision with Scarlet Witch and what she's done with her powers. Yep. And now getting drawn into this as well. And Doctor Strange obviously tapping into it with Spider-Man No Way Home. And seeing how it's going to be even affecting. Stretching into the land of what if. Mm -hmm. Because as you've seen in the trailers. Yep. We have seen there is an evil Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. If you see episode four of season one of what if on Disney Plus. Yep. You get that whole origin story. And that's who we are speculating is in this movie. And I think that's a smart play as well. Mm-hmm. The only other character we know that is debuting, and this is something for Marvel fans to be very excited about, is Shotila Gomez, mm-hmm. who's playing America Chavez. Now, if you know her from the comics, she's a very, very big figure of the Young Avengers franchise Yep, in some incarnations. She's somebody that's going to be watching, and this is going to be a great intro for her because as we've speculated on this show numerous times, 
all roads from Disney Plus and the MCU seem to be forming a little sub-story for Young Avengers. I don't think we're speculating. I think we're outright calling it because yeah. if if you haven't been paying attention and you're seeing all the pieces get lined up on the board, I can't help you. Yeah. It's it's just it's coming together. It's going to be a good mix of members from, you know, the different incarnations of the teams. Yeah. And I'm not sure about a story. I can't tell you like okay, they're already starting to film, but they're setting the groundwork for it. Like literally, if we're talking chess pieces, you've almost got the entire set. Yeah, of what this team is going to be, and you know what, it makes perfect sense. And yeah. I think that this will be fun, whether it's on Disney Plus or whether it's on the big screen. We don't know exactly where they're going to go with this, but let's just be honest, it's going to happen. And this is a great way to introduce America Chavez to the mainstream audience too, because with the billing of Doctor Strange, you do know that there's going to be some certain, you know, expectations with this franchise because. Mm-hmm. We're now going into post-end game. Yep. Brand new world. Mm-hmm. What are we expecting? Things are starting to fray a little bit. You know, the, the multiverse has been broken open, like we said. Uh, Wong is going to be pissed. Yeah, he's definitely not going to be happy about this. Benedict Wong <laughs> reprising the role. Strange is going to be on sweeping duty for like a millennium. Yes. and But this goes into some good storytelling they can dip into because... Obviously, we know that Kang the Conqueror is going to be the next big bad Marvel villain. He's coming. He's coming. Like it's he's going to appear in, in Ant Man. We might see a cameo like of a picture of him here, maybe per se. Wouldn't be surprised if he's in the uh, one of the bonus scenes. Yeah, it could happen. Wouldn't surprise me. It could happen there, but we do know he's going to be in Ant Man Three: Quantumania. Yep. So that is where we're expecting to fully see him. Now, what he does there, we don't know. Don't know. But we do know that obviously the buzz that was created when he appeared on Loki. Uh huh. In the incarnation of Immortus, this is where fans have definitely got amped up about. And I cannot wait to see where Jonathan Majors takes the character. This is going to be something really fun for for comic fans yeah. and for for the movie fans too, because obviously Kang is so connected and could be a gateway for some other heroes. Obviously, yeah. this one has got pretty much everybody waiting to see who's going to be getting added to the MCU mm-hmm. with Doctor Strange. In the multiverse of madness. I mean, like I say, we're probably not going to see Kang. I do suspect, though. He might get, like you said, he might get mentioned, though. We'll get a cameo, but I think the major villain here is going to be one from the Doctor Strange mythos, and that's going to be Nightmare. That's been rumored for a while. We've heard that for a while. I want to say it's been rumored since the first one came out that, like, oh, they were thinking about doing Nightmare for the sequel villain. Mm -hmm. Or some time around there. It's been rumored a while. Yeah, which I think makes perfect sense with Sam Raimi at the helm. I think that that, that's the direction they should go in. Now, do I know it for a fact? No. Because I've actually been trying to avoid finding out details like that. I'm just doing the speculation. Yeah. But I think it would be a smart play to do. Like, unless they want to try going back to Dormammu or nah. somebody else in that in circumstance. Nah. But I think that that's where they should go with this and then really have some fun with it. And obviously give the fans, you know, those Easter egg moments. We do know Patrick Stewart's in this as Professor X uh-huh. in some kind of incarnation. Well, we, I'm not saying it's officially him crossing over. We do know that it's been rumored the Illuminati of the Marvel Comics universe is going to get introduced here. I know one thing because a photo got released. He's in the fucking yellow hover chair. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to mark out like a madman when that happens. Because, yeah. holy fuck. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about with this. And I think that it's going to really knock it out of the park with this, too. Most of the reviews I've read, spoiler-free, have been saying nice things about this. Yeah. So that's why I want to go in with this. I don't want to go this and just have this be so much fan service that it takes away from the story of whatever they're going to try building. Because right. this is going to be the pace car for the next phase of the MCU. Like, we already had that kind of go with Spider-Man No Way Home. Sure. 
But this is where we're going to see really everybody involved. Spider-Man No Way Home was the appetizer, and this is the main course. Facts. So going into this weekend, there's a lot to be enjoying about this film. Absolutely. Bruce Campbell's in the goddamn thing. What oh, yeah. more do I need to say? Bruce Campbell finally in the official MCU. That's all I need. That's but, will, all. but will he be playing a ring announcer? Hmm. I I don't know who he's going to be playing. If if he's not, can we at least hope there's a reference to that? You know who? That'd be, that'd be awesome. You know who I'd love to see him play, but I know he's not going to. Is Mysterio? Oh, that'd be good. Because that was so rumored during the original Sam no, Raimi fr- Ra- franchise run. Raimi came out and said he would. Because Raimi got asked about doing Spider-Man Four, like what happened with that, and he confirmed the rumors that have been around for a while that he was writing uh, Spider-Man Four. But given how poorly Spider-Man Three was received mm. he wanted to take more time on it and but because of the way the contract between marvel and sony works he wanted to take more time than they had and the rights would have reverted back to marvel mm-hmm. so that's why it got canned and it went to amazing spider-man but he did say that uh bruce campbell would have been mysterio in that movie if he'd have gotten a chance to i mean goddamn perfect Oh, if only. So maybe they'll do a little Easter egg there for us. I'm super excited. I mean, if it's Sam, if Sam Raimi gets his way, he'll probably work it in somehow. Yeah, you could just have it. Like maybe we'll have a Jake Gyllenhaal cameo. And maybe just... maybe he'll pick up you know the helmet and be like, hey, "What the hell is this?" Thing? Yeah, they they could do something like that. Either way, lock it in for May sixth. <coughs> I know we'll be going Thursday night with you know the family over six or seven podcast. Yeah, uh, and a whole bunch of other friends. It's gonna be a fun night. Well, let's put that final stamp on this pad. What do you expect, and how excited are you for this? I'm expecting a good movie. I'm excited for this just because, like you mentioned, uh, Wanda's in this. You've got Wong. You've got, you know, uh, America Chavez making her debut appearance. I'm excited for that. You know, Patrick Stewart showing up again. I'm real interested to see where they go with that and everything that entails with that. You know, but I'm just, you know, I, I don't want a movie full of fan service like you said. But, like, if it makes sense, put it in there. You know, I don't want it filled to the brain with it. But I'm excited to see who the villain is and where things go from here. Just because, like you said, this is, this is the pace car. This is kind of the, you know, the doors are going to open up from where this movie goes. And I get the feeling we're going to have more questions than answers coming out of this movie. I agree. I think that Sam Raimi understands this is going to be a big deal. I think he's going to deliver a very horror-centric movie mm-hmm. in the MCU. So this will probably be the closest we get to a real horror movie. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is going to definitely step it up for this. I think, you know, the cam- with Elizabeth Olsen be- tagging along here, too. Yeah. I think that has a nice dynamic. Yeah. And obviously, with tapping into the multiverse, and if they're going to do the Illuminati, mm-hmm. this is where I think you're going to see the introduction of the Fantastic Four. Could be. That's where I'm going to go with this. I know that, obviously, with Wanda involved, we could see mutants yeah. get mentioned. Yeah. We, and then however they want to try explaining that yeah. is going to be a little messy. Yeah. But I, th- I think it's going to spring out of what happened in Eternals. Yeah, I think so, too. I think Eternals, it makes more sense for that. Yeah. Like, if there is one bright spot to that, I mean, it opens the doors for mutants, and you can kind of talk about evolution there if you want. But I think this one is going to be basically introduced in Fantastic Four in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how yet, Yeah. but I think that this might be the case. Or if they really want to pull something over, let's say the Leap, you see Reed Richards. Oh, that'd be good. In here. That'd be good. And if it's John Krasinski, mm-hmm. I think the internet would melt down. Yeah, it might. But we'll have to kind of wait to see what happens. I think for my prediction, I'm going to say one of the bonus scenes will feature Loki. Okay. And I and I say that because notes I'm not spoiling anything. I don't know anything. You know, I, I well, I know things, but not like spoilery things. Uh 
because uh, I know Tom Hiddleston did an interview or was asked by somebody whether he was going to be in the new Thor movie or not. Mm-hmm. And, of course, being the veteran he is, he didn't give anything away. But he did say he filmed something for Marvel, but he had no idea what it was for. So could be something for Thor. Could be a bonus scene for this movie. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to see a bonus scene with Loki because in a movie with multiverse in the title, it would make sense for a gentleman who kind of broke the multiverse open to make an appearance. Facts. Well, I guess we'll all have to wait and see what happens this week. So, obviously, you know the deal by now, ODPH Society. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Give us your spoiler-free predictions for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. What do you think is going to happen? And then, obviously, that 72-hour window starts after Friday. So, we'll all talk about it on Monday on Spoiler Talk. So, everybody's been fair warned. And we all know Ken's predicting Jar Jar Banks will show up. Well, he's got to. I mean, they're going to do the epic crossover and get the Star Wars in there. Because you know what? MCU does not want any piece of Boba Fett coming through there. Facts. They don't want no part of the king. Although Boba Fett versus Punisher, give it to me. Ooh. Ooh. That's a good crossover. See? Now i got a lot to discuss. So let's talk about it, ODPH Society. Hit us up. Let us know. And we'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Again, happy May the 4th. Happy May the 4th. It is Star Wars Day, and I realize tomorrow's Cinco de Mayo. No, goddammit, it's Revenge of the 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, to grace us with May the 4th and all the Star Wars goodness, the folks over at Disney Plus and Lucasfilm gave us another trailer for the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is dropping at the end of the month. And goddammit, I'm already excited enough for this. You're making me even more excited. Yeah. Trailer looks amazing. Uh, kind of some of the same shots you saw before. Doesn't really expand on the story any more than we already know. Uh, Obi-Wan is, of course, on Tatooine protecting Luke because the show is taking place after Revenge of the Sith, but pre-A New Hope. So Obi-Wan is on Tatooine protecting a young Luke. Uh, but in the midst of all this is, of course, the Empire is in the midst of, you know, trying to ex- exterminate all the Jedi, you know, really put a, a stamp on things and, and get a grip on the galaxy and you do have the Inquisitors, who are Force-sensitive users uh, put into use by the Emperor and I believe and Darth Vader. Uh, you know that are they're really the minions that Darth Vader sends out to hunt down and kill all of the Jedi, uh, and they're obviously on the lookout for Obi Wan Kenobi because, as Vader knows, well. I didn't kill him, so he's still got to be out there someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're on, out there looking for him. But coupled with all this, you have Obi-Wan trying to watch Luke when Owen, uh, his uncle Owen, wants absolutely nothing to do with the man. And yeah. There's an awesome shot in the trailer uh, on Tatooine where uh, Obi-Wan says to Uncle Owen, you know, when the time comes, he has to be trained. And in the coldest line in Star Wars history, I'll say it, Christ, my bone, my blood froze when I heard this. Uncle Owen looks at him and goes, the same way you did his father? Yeah. Which means Uncle Owen is told what happened. That Because you got to admit, it'd be kind of random for you just living on Tatooine. Some dude show up that admittedly, in all of the canon I've read and watched, Uncle Owen, up until Revenge of the Sith, had not met Mm Obi-Wan. 
for some dude to just show up out of the blue and go, hey, this is your nephew. You got to raise him. Bye. Yeah. So he knows what happened. He knows who Darth Vader is. So, oh boy, that's going to be a conversation. I cannot wait for this show. No, it looks dope. Absolutely dope. Can't wait to start talking about it in the yeah. show. Uh, switching over to some Marvel news. Uh, this broke the day after we recorded, but it was announced that the John Watts, who of course directed Spider-Man No Way Home and was tapped to direct uh, the upcoming Fantastic Four film, has uh, left. Hmm. Uh, this according to the folks over at Deadline, which reads, quote, John Watts has withdrawn as the director of Fantastic Four, the reinvention of the venerable Marvel Comics series at Marvel Studios and Disney. Watts just directed Spider-Man No Way Home, the Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios film that grossed $1.9 billion to become the sixth highest grossing film of all time. Nothing sinister here. Watts just needs a break from the superhero realm after completing the Spidey trilogy with Tom Holland and Zendaya. He had expected to make Fantastic Four his next film, the third feature iteration of that franchise and first since Disney acquired Fox, uh, which controlled the franchise. Watts has spent the better part of the past decade directing and promoting the Spider-Man films after being hired off Cop Car, a small-budget indie thriller that premiered in 2015, uh, Sundance. Uh, He needs a breather. Uh, Both Watts and Marvel confirmed his exit and said that it is amicable. Uh, Said Kevin Feige, president, Marvel Studios, and Louis uh, D'Esposito, co-president, Marvel Studios, quote, Collaborating with John on the Spider-Man films has been a true pleasure. We were looking forward to continuing our work with him to bring the Fantastic Four into the MCU, but understand and are supportive of his reasons for stepping away. We are optimistic that we will have the opportunity to work together again at some point down the road, close quote. Uh, Watts said that, quote, making three Spider-Man films was an incredible and life-changing experience for me. I'm I'm eternally grateful to have been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for seven years. I'm hopeful we'll work together again, and I can't wait to see the amazing vision uh, for Fantastic Four brought to life, close quote. So, a little surprising at first, because, you know, obviously when a director, uh, look at Justin Lin leaving Fast X. Yeah. Director leaves a French, uh, a movie, even before it starts filming, or right after it starts filming. Uh, you know, it's a, a cause for a little bit of concern. Oh, is there some sort of internal strife going on or things on the rocks? Is Kevin Feige losing his hold? No, he just needs a break. And I understand that. I can understand that too. I mean, the only other idea I was having, unless they were trying to sweeten the pot for like a John Krasinski to take the role. Yeah. They could be his own director for his film. Yeah, maybe. But no, no, just Watts needs a break. Mm. Uh, and then with more Marvel news, uh, we got some dates switching because, uh, again, uh, or this time according to Variety, quote, Marvel Studios Productions, The Marvels, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Quantumania are swapping release dates. Disney announced Friday. The Marvels, uh, the sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel, was originally due to open in theaters on February 17th, 2023, and Quantumania, the third movie in the Ant-Man series, was set to open on July 28th, 2023. Instead, Quantumania will now bow first in February, and The Marvels will debut in July. Insiders say this was a matter of Quantumania simply being further along in its creative process than the Marvels, as the former has wrapped principal photography while the Marvels still has a bit more to go. Marvel Studios' other big theatrical release in 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, is still set to debut on May 5th, 2023. So, obviously, when they swap things around, oh, no, what's wrong? Are they having issues? That's that. No, just Quantumania is further along. 
Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a CGI thing. That could I, be I, CGI having to do pickup shots or reshoots and schedules being in a conflict and all that. You know, it, it's simple stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I wasn't sweating it too much, to be no. honest with you. Uh, and then switching over to uh, Fast X, we did get some information from the Hollywood Reporter about why Justin Lin uh, left Fast 10. Ooh, some tea yeah. getting spilled. Uh, yeah, so the article from Hollywood Reporter reads, quote, families come together, families come in all shapes and sizes. They can be loving and nurturing. They can be boisterous and brash. They can be, uh, there can be fractious and frustrating. The Fast and Furious franchise, which runs on the theme of family, became the latter when only days into shooting the latest installment, Fast 10 director Justin Lin did the unthinkable. He quit. Uh, article. The article goes on to say, Lin was handling writing, uh, writing, direct, writing duties on the movie and believed he had a locked script going into it. Universal and Diesel, uh, Vin Diesel, had other thoughts. A key, a key location that had been secured was cut due to its Eastern Europe location amid the war in Ukraine. And the movie still hadn't cast one of its villains yet. On top of that, even as Lynn tried to draw the lo- draw lines in the sand, the studio said it would be sending a writer to London to polish dialogue for some of the actors, a move that was expected, but apparently not welcomed by Lynn at that time, sources say. Hmm. The constantly moving target proved too much uh, for the seasoned Lynn, who on April 23rd had a major disagreement with Diesel. The four-person meeting had begun with Diesel having new notes. It ended with a slammed door. Justin finally had enough and said, This movie is not worth my mental health, says one source. Both Lynn and Diesel declined comment for this story. A Universal spokesman told uh, THR, Any creative differences leading to Justin Lynn's exit were with the studio, not with fellow producers, cast, or crew. In the heat of the moment, Lynn said that he said he was through with the movie. The studio took him seriously, and by April 25th, a settlement was reached for Lynn to exit the production. He would remain involved as a producer. A great many of the crew had worked with F, worked on F9 with Lynn, and, and for a spell, wondered uh, what their next moves would be. But Lynn, according to insiders, gave his blessing that they should stay on. Regardless, the muscle car had lost its driver, and it was speeding down the speeding down the highway. On April 26th, uh, three days after the blow-up, Lynn announced his departure on the Fast social media channels. With the support of Universal, I have made the difficult decision to step back as director of Fast X, he wrote, uh, and thanking his uh, cast and crew for the support and expressing pride at helping to build the most diverse franchise in movie history. Uh, so, yeah, sounds like things got a little ugly, and like I said last week, sounds like there's some smoke to the fire of Vin Diesel being difficult to work with. Yeah, I mean, we know it's his baby, we know he's the guy that moves the needle over there, so if there was a disagreement, somebody was gonna go. Surprising that they're willing to throw all that money on the table and, you know, out the window, so to speak, but... yeah. But at the end of the day, you're not gonna replace Vin Diesel of the franchise, you can go get another director to just do something here yeah and well we didn't have to wait long they did end up finding a new director uh, it was reported by the uh i'm reading from an article on the hollywood reporter this was on may 2nd so this was just a couple of days ago uh that quote fast 10 has found its new director uh, i'm gonna butcher this name so i apologize uh lewis lettier l-e-t yeah lettier uh, lettier uh the helmer behind now you see me and several transporter action movies is universal's choice to take over the movie and replace justin lynn Director Justin Lin, who abruptly left the job just days into shooting. Uh, and to this I say, A. 
Uh, the, I do not like this choice because if you go to this gentleman's IMDb page, uh, he is known for being the director on the 2008 Incredible Hulk film. Mm. Now You See Me, as I mentioned, which came out in 2013. Uh, being a director on the film Unleashed, which came out in 2005, which I gotta admit, never seen. Uh, but he was also a director on the 2010 film Clash of the Titans, which is not good. Uh, so I gotta say, with his directing choice, gotta say, not a fan. Do not like it. Not a fan, but you said he did the transporter, right? Yeah, he done. Tra- he did transporter one, and he did transporter two. So he knows how to do car scenes. He knows yeah. how to do action. I, I'm just afraid that like Vin Diesel and Universal found a yes man. Oh, I'm that, sure. And, and that he's director in name only, but like Vin Diesel's actually going to be directing. Well, that's going to be. You knew that was going to happen the minute that Justin left. Like, I'm sorry, in my opinion, I should say. Yeah. You knew that was going to happen because they want to get this production rolling because, like, let's face it, this is going to be the swan song. You know it's going to make a bazillion dollars. Oh, yeah. They don't want to have anybody any more delays. So it's like, can you work with Vin? If Vin tells you to jump, you're going to say okay? Yeah. Like, that's that's the whole thing with this. So I, I, don't, I would, let me say this. I strongly doubt we'll have another director change here. Probably not. Because I bet you Vince handpicked him. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So... Uh, and then switching over to some TV news, we alluded to it during our recap of Superman and Lois, but two of the Arrowverse shows have officially been canceled. Uh, one of which being DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and then the other one being Batwoman. Uh, reading from two articles uh, from Deadline, first of which is about uh, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, it reads, quote, DC's Legends of Tomorrow will not return for an eighth season. It marks the end of a long road for the series, which premiered in 2016. While the CW is known for giving its long-running series a proper goodbye, this season's of Legends will end on a cliffhanger. God, I hate that. Uh, sources, however, pointed out that the characters can easily populate other series in the DC Arrowverse, so you may see one or two of them in the other shows. Uh, co-showrunner Kato Shimuzu uh, revealed the news on Twitter, quote, It's been an incredible run, however, the CW has let us know that there will be no Season 8. We are heartbroken, but also immensely grateful for the amazing work our cast, crew, and writers have contributed to our little show that could. Close quote, she said. Uh, so not entirely surprised. I mean, I, it's been kind of rumored for a couple of years now that the show was going to get canceled. Ratings were never quite what they liked, and the production budget on this show was very high. You know, so were they getting their return on investment? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, the show is ending. And I got, like I said, I hate when a show ends on a cliffhanger because you never get that resolution. Right, but at the same time, I wouldn't doubt they do like a a, a finale show, mm-hmm. either on HBO Max. Maybe I doubt it though. Maybe you know, but you never know. Like with the amount of people that have suddenly gotten vocal about the show getting canceled, which I'm like, well, where have you guys been? And and because the ratings haven't been demonstrating the outrage about this, Legends could do that yeah. if they if they really want to push it that far. Because I mean, obviously they want to get some original content on there, so I think that'd be a smart move to do. Not super shocked, though. I mean, like, we've touched upon The budget has been huge. Yeah. The show has definitely gone in a lot of different directions since that opening season. Uh-huh. I mean, other than Bebo. I mean, yeah. which Bebo is classic. Bebo's great. Yeah, you can't say anything bad about him. So not, not super shocked there. And for Batwoman, I mean, obviously losing your star in the first season. Yeah. And, I mean, having to change gears, even though I thought the, re- the replacement and the direction of the show after was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, I am kind of surprised in that aspect um, that I thought Batwoman was going there. But the one thing that I could not stand with that show mm-hmm. is when they started doing, like, a, a Joker-type okay. character. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Because like, 
you were going in such a direction like it would have made more sense if you did something more original. Mm-hmm. But like I say, nothing against Javissa Lins- Leslie. Yeah. I thought she was great for filling in for Ruby Rose and sure. taking that character into a different direction. But I just think when you didn't really have that set identity for where you should have gone for season three, I think that was going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, she was put in a, in a tough position no matter what, you know, because you got the role in the comics has always been Kate Kane. And then mm-hmm. because of the, what happened behind the scenes, Ruby Rose left. You know, so it, it's definitely a bummer for them, but hey, at least you got to see the run on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, switching over to some video game news, uh, it has been reported by Polygon and other sources that the Prince of Persia The Sands of Time remake is now being he- uh, led by the Ubisoft Montreal studio. Oh. Uh, they are the studio uh, behind the original title. Okay. Uh, so reading from an, uh, the article on Polygon, it says, quote, The per- Prince of Persia The Sands of Time remake is now being led by Ubisoft Montreal, the studio behind the original title. The change was announced Tuesday on the official Prince of Persia Twitter account. The statement reads in part, quote, the decision is an important step in the team building upon the work achieved by Ubisoft uh, Pune uh, and Ubisoft Mumbai will now take the time they need to regroup on the scope of the game to deliver you the best experience for this remake of an all-time classic when it's ready, close quote. Uh, so this game was originally, uh, article goes on to say, Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake was originally announced in September of 2020 for an expected 2021 release date. The game would be delayed twice, one from once from January to March, and then again indefinitely. Anna Cool, the producer on the Sands of Time project, said that the title would be a faithful adaptation of the 2003 action-adventure title where the titular prince finds himself pitted against the plans of an evil vizier alongside Farah, a young princess. It's just we have given it a good bit more flavor, more enhancement, she said. This announcement suggests that Ubisoft is placing a priority on getting the Sands of Time project back on track. Ubisoft Montreal is an experienced studio and the developer behind the original platformer. There is still no release date, so fans will have to wait uh, to see more of what this remake has and when they might get to play it. Uh, Close quote. So little surprising that it's jumping studios because you don't really see that yeah you don't see that often you don't see that often but like giving it to the folks who originally made the game all those years ago and ubisoft montreal is probably their main studio so mm. those are the guys and girls who are most seasoned most uh veterans uh so it should be real good and i'd say it's in good hands yeah i definitely have to say it's in good hands just surprising you know they're doing the hot potato yeah. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not lastly, because holy goddamn shit, mm. uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, Embracer, the headline reads, Embracer Group enters agreement to acquire Eidos, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal for $300 million. Damn! Uh, so the article goes on to read, quote, Embracer Group has entered into an agreement to acquire Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IPs, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Cain, and more than 50 backlog, back catalog games from Square Enix Holdings for $300 million. Embracer shared the news in a press release saying this acquisition includes roughly 1,100 employees across three studios and eight global locations. The deal, if it goes through, is expected to close during quarter two of Embracer's financial year 2022-2023. Quote, we are thrilled to welcome these studios into the Embracer group. We recognize the fantastic IP, world-class creative talent, and track record of excellence that have been demonstrated time and again over the past decades. It has been a great pleasure meeting the leadership teams and discussing future plans uh, for how they can realize their ambitions and become a great part of Embracer, says Lars Wingfors, co-founder and group CEO, Embracer Group. 
Embracer is the best kept secret in gaming, a massive decentralized collection of entrepreneurs from uh, whom we are thrilled to become part of today. It is the perfect fit for our ambitions, make high quality games with great people sustainably uh, and grow our existing franchises to their best versions ever. Embracer allows us to forge new partnerships across all media to maximize our franchises potential and live our dreams of making extraordinary entertainment, says Phil Rogers, Square Enix America and Europe CEO. Uh, so once this deal goes through, the article continues, Embracer will have more than 14,000 employees, 10,000 game developers, and 124 internal studios. Damn. It also confirmed it has more than 230 games in development at those studios, and more than 30 of them are AAA games. So odds are if you're playing a game in the next couple of years, it's probably from the Embracer group. It's probably from them. Holy shit. Uh, so this is definitely a surprise, and just for a, kind of an idea of some of the holdings this company has because i gotta admit i never heard of them of no they own dark horse yes, yes that dark horse uh some of the other stuff they own is gearbox entertainment so that includes gearbox software which makes the borderlands games uh they also uh own coke media which has deep silver which makes the dead island games the uh metro games and then also the uh saints row games Mm -hmm. you know and they also own saber interactive thq nordic which owns a and makes a bunch of games so that's just some of the stuff there but holy shit that's loaded Uh that's absolutely wild man that's fucking nuts holy smokes Uh uh-huh so for mine, uh, let's keep it all comics because obviously this Saturday, 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 free comic book day. There is no better time of year to go to your local comic shops, go support them, and go get some free comics. Like honestly, uh-huh. I don't. I, the fact that I have to like stress this, go get free comic yeah, books. What's better than free? Exactly. So some picks for this uh, free comic book day, and I know there's so many of them, but I don't want to go down the whole list. I'm just going to tell you what I'm looking for: DC Comics Dark Crisis Special Edition Zero. Obviously, if you've been following the events that are going on with the Justice League, this is a must-have for the next big thing going on at DC. Marvel has got their triple threat going, Avengers, Eternals, and X-Men Judgment Day. So that's going to be a big book to keep an eye out for. And obviously, if you know the ODPH rather well and you know Parlay Points, which you should be subscribing to each and every week for your comic picks, Valiant Comics has got a loaded uh, free comic book day coming from them as well. There is so many publishers going out this weekend that like I cannot yeah. I cannot stress this enough. Get to your local comic shops. If you only go once a year, like if you're, you know, whatever, don't have the time to get there all the time, you build up your pull list, whatever. This is the time to go. I know locally, shout out Sound Go Round in Vestal, New York. We are going to be sharing that on our Facebook page. They're doing a massive event. Yeah. So if you're in the 607, get down there. I am planning on being down there let's, early for let's it. Say artists Ken Wheaton, who did uh, work on Simpsons Futurama and uh, some other stuff, is going to be down there. He did work for uh, Bongo, IDW, DC Image, and many more. And also Marvel and DC comic artist Steve Ellis will be there doing sketches. That's so cool, man. I cannot stress that enough. Shout out to Justin down there as well. So if you go down there, tell him you heard us, you heard us talking on the ODPH about it, and he'll say, all right, cool, because... Uh, Justin is long overdue to come back. Yeah. We've been like trying to play a little phone tag. So, Justin, I know you listen. Swing on through, brother. We got to have you come on and talk some comics with us sooner than later. But until then, it is New Comic Book Day wherever you are listening to us around the world. And the picks of the week here got to plug Comixology Originals. Now, I can't stress this enough. I say this all the time on the blog, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm driving this point home. If you are not signed up for their unlimited deal, it's one of the best deals in comics, period. 
And most of these books are going to be coming to print from what we've been seeing thus far. Mm -hmm. So, like, I know currently the Scott Snyder runs of We Have Demons is now coming to print. We do know that there are some other ones coming via Dark Horse that we've covered. Right. And another one that we're going to see a little later this year, but, man, this book is really cool. If you're into horror comics, The Panic Number 1. Uh-huh. It is done by Neil... Klein okay. and Andrea Modi. Okay. And this is a very realistic horror movie set in New York City where a passenger's on a train, uh, it goes and it crashes underneath the Hudson River. Okay. They're trapped, uh, and there's a mysterious stranger that is on there that wasn't on there before. Mm. And we go from there. It's a dope book. Cannot recommend it enough. And like I said, it's coming out later this year on Dark Horse for print. So if you want to get the jump start on it now, Definitely head on over to Comixology and Originals and go get it because it's definitely worth the time. So I cannot plug that enough. Also on the Originals line, too, one of my favorite series I've been reading right now, Red Tag number three. Okay. So this is one that is done by Stout Club and Javier Scavone and Roger Cruz are on the creative for this. Continuing the little political uh, story thriller that's going on there and how the three heroes that are trying to be the voice for the voiceless, in my opinion. Uh, are now getting you know tracked down because they have too much information they shouldn't have, and things are really picking up quick there. All right. So really dig that book. And then we also have coming from Boom Studios, Once in Future 25. Listen, this book is solid anytime it drops. I cannot recommend it enough, and I feel like a broken record because every time I show the artwork to Pat, mm-hmm. and I just say, Pad, how does this grab you? Turn on your computer. Oh, that's different. Oh, yes. Because who is on the cover, you ask, Pad? Because this is his uh, group. It's the one and only Robin Hood. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh Uh-oh. So if you're not reading Once in Future, like, listen, you got to get on board. I'm going to warn you now, it's not Disney's Robin Hood either. No, no. It's it's some badass stuff going on here. Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora just put in lights out work. Every single issue going on here, it is so badass. I cannot even stress it enough. And my pick of the week, though is one that I am an old-school Valiant Comics fan. Shout-out to Valiant Entertainment. They have brought back my favorite duo in comics, Archer and Armstrong, in a brand-new series. Archer and Armstrong Forever, so Steve Fox and Mauricio Ferrito are bringing back the dynamic duo of Valiant in a big way. The book is so damn cool. Cannot stress enough. And it's questioning, is Armstrong really immortal? And what happens here? Because they are the unlikely duo that makes it happen. The art is cool. The story is so is on point. Can't stress it enough. If you're looking for a new comic to get involved with, they're doing some big things over at Valley. I cannot plug them enough. And the last one I've got to plug, though, Radiant Black number 14. Obviously, hey. we're big fans of the Massiverse here. Yes. And I know that um, <clears throat> they might listen to the show, and if they want to get on Parlay Points, um, let's let's talk, shall we? But Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa definitely delivering another one. Showing Pad the cover right now. Oh my good gosh! Yeah, it's a badass book. Um, I gotta start reading it uh, after the show. So listen, there's so much to go pick up at the comic shops this week, and I can't stress enough. If you're gonna go, if you don't go today, go free comic book day because most places are cutting deals. It's gonna be a good, great place to meet up with fellow fans, cosplayers. Events are going on, so wherever you are, definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod, and let me know what's going on at your local comic shop for Comic Book Day. I definitely want to have that conversation. Oh, man. So that all being said, I'm just going to leave you with a very short and simple 
For anything and everything that is the ODPH Podcast, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. May the 4th be with you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.